HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio. This is a special New York City Beer Week show. We're, we're talking about Vermont. we got Chad Rich and uh, Nate Johnson from uh, Prohibition Pig, and here with Dave Broderick at Blind Tiger. Welcome to the show, guys. It's so good to see you. Thanks, Jimmy. So I, I, I had to turn on the recorder because you guys are just starting to talk about cool things. Right now we're drinking a, a beer out of a, you know, a, a crowler. So, Nate, tell us about the beer and, and what it is because we're just going to get right into the show. We're getting ready for New York City Brewer's Choice today. By the time this, this show airs, you, you'll be hearing all about it. So, Sure. So we're uh, sitting down opening uh, Crowler of uh, the Reverse Whirlpool IPA. This originally was a uh, recipe that we did with collaboration with Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest. And it's uh, just an IPA with uh, four Southern Hemisphere hops. Uh, really nice, uh, super clean, but big fruit. Um, and, uh, yeah, 6.5%. Extremely drinkable and showing every everything I want in a, in an IPA. So it's a nice way to start start the show. It's eleven thirty. Again, we're getting ready for New York's choice. And a chat came down from Vermont with some clicks to share. And thanks to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world class ales and lagers. All right. So, Dave, you know what, what's going on, man? You, you're hardly in New York anymore. Yeah, Tell us about your Vermont operations. Um, still pretty much the same, you know, but they're. In the Upper Valley, where our two restaurants are, Worthy Burger, Worthy Kitchen, there's some new local breweries, tiny ones, which we've really been lacking. And uh, it's just sort of given a boost to that whole area. Um, there's Upper Pass, uh, which is uh, one of the uh, significance in that is Chris Perry, who is our beverage manager at the Worthy Burger. And, uh, and then there's another one, uh, Brockle Bank, which is our plumber from the Worthy Burger. And... Uh, and then there's a new guy, Mark Babson, down in White River Junction, uh, River Roost. And he's got a nice 10 barrel. He's making some, I just had his beers for the first time. He's making some really nice stuff. So, you know, it's just kind of, we've been wanting something like that around us for a really long time. Everyone else seems to have their little breweries, but we haven't, so we're pretty excited. That's nice, man. So, Chad, I appreciate you coming down each year now for the Brewer's Choice event. Um, what are you going to be serving tonight at the event? Uh, we're, we're serving... Uh, Nate's Reverse Whirlpool and the Bantam Double IPA, which are two of our most popular beers. Um, we, we have those in kegs with us, but we're also drinking those right here, right now, from uh, our crawlers. We have a uh, couple of crawler machines which allow us to uh, 
sell the beer in this format to anybody who wants to take it home with them and drink it off premise. Yeah, I wanted to know uh, since you have you know, offer both uh, growlers and crowlers, um, what's the breakdown in terms of uh, percentages? It's at least two to one crowlers, um, and I'm I'm really happy about that because the crowlers have uh, only one disadvantage, and that's the uh, to us because we subsidize the cost of it, mm-hmm. whereas. We only charge you, you know, our cost for the growlers, and people can bring them back and have them refilled. The the the, the growlers, though, uh, you don't charge them for the can. We don't charge them for the can, but the advantage of it is to both the consumer and to us. The consumer, when they come in, they don't have to uh, hesitate. You're like, ah, well, I've already got fifty growlers at home. I hate to buy another, and I forgot my growler. No, no cost, you know, just buy what you want. You're getting the beer, you know, for the beer cost without the cost of the can. Uh, the advantage to us is we know that we're putting the beer into a brand-new vessel. We don't have to worry uh, whether that brown glass still has remnants and funk in it left mm-hmm. from the previous beers in there. Uh, as well, once the consumer pops that top, they have to commit. You know, one of the things we're worried about is, is somebody taking a growler home drinking half it, putting the cap on it, putting it back in the fridge with oxygen in there now, and uh, serving it to, you know, either to themselves or, even worse, friends. Like they're saying, like, oh, my God, this beer is so good, and I'm like, what happened to it? Right. Yep. And we, you know, we we purge the cans with CO2 before filling them, and uh, we've we've been doing tests in-house with them, just keeping them in our our personal fridges and trying them down the road, and they've held up really, really well. Um, The... Uh, and, and we're fortunate enough to know as well, having having a, uh, a little-known brewery down the road, the Alchemist, they have a uh, very expensive dissolved oxygen meter, and they were nice enough to come up and test all of our tanks. And uh, it was pretty unreal how low our, our numbers were on that, which is really a good thing because it means the beer is going to hold well over a period of time and not become oxidized. And Nate, as a brewer, what do you think about the Crowlers? I love the Crowler. Uh, as you know, it is a it's a essentially a, you know can growler. So there are certain limitations to what a growler will always be. You know, filling it um, you know from a tap line. This is the best vessel for beer quality when it comes to a growler. Uh, the seal is a very very nice seal. There's no uh, light getting in, and it makes me. Uh, you know, help helps me sleep at night knowing that my beer is going out in, in the possibly you know the best condition possible, and also it allows me to bring beer a lot of places, <laughs> and everyone loves uh, seeing a giant uh, thirty-two ounce can of beer come out. It's a lot right cheaper now. than buying a can or two. A little cheaper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, how'd you get started? What's, uh, your, what's your official position? You like you said, I'm the painter br- and uh, brewer. Uh, brewer so, not- uh, mostly I, I clean uh, stuff. But, um, I was a home brewer for uh, about six years. Uh, I was an economist. I have a degree in economics. Uh, but I always sort of, I just fell in love with brewing. I loved uh, sort of the synthesis of the science and, and sort of the mathematics uh, to be a very technical uh, brewer, but also sort of the artistic aspect of flavor profiles and, and melding you know the ingredients uh, together to come up with a final product and I've known Chad uh, for six seven years now and we sort of this is very organic and Chad wanted to you know expand the pig and open a brewery and I wanted to be a brewer so I met Nate back at uh, flatbread in, in the flatbread days and it, and it was kind of funny uh uh, American flatbread in Burlington being a brew pub there was definitely a lot of people in the, into brewing and whatnot going in there and you got a lot of home brewers that were bringing in a lot of bottle of beers you know wanting you to try and uh, it's, it's amazing the pile of beers that would end up in the cooler that you almost dreaded opening some of these because they were a little scary mm. but uh, a common friend of ours um, was like Man, have you ever had Nate's beers? I was like, nah. And he's like, and, and, and it amazed me. He was never like trying to push his beers on anybody like most of the home brewers. And I had to hound him to get a couple of bottles of beer. And it was unreal what he was brewing at home, you know, and doing sour beers and whatnot too uh, at his house. 
Um, yeah, I remember hearing about Nate at the uh, the uh, fundraiser uh, the night before. The night before, this is before you did the brewery, and I think there was some super beer geek at the event, and he was going on and on. He's like, "I'm telling you, I think he's, he could be the best brewer in Vermont. He's not even like an official brewer yet." <laughs> yeah, and so uh, I don't know. About that was that. the first. I know. <laughs> I was. I was like, "Wow." I, I think there's okay. I think there's a couple other breweries out there. There's but. a couple. <laughs> this beer's good. Is, is this your recipe, Nate? The reverse whirlpool? Uh, yeah, it was a collaboration with Sean Lawson. So a little bit of uh, both of us. Um, sort of that. You know, anytime brewers get together, get get uh, shooting ideas around. But um, this batch, I made some tweaks uh, specifically to the water. Um, I've been working on new water profile. And I've been very happy. It's a very um, sort of soft and juicy uh, water profile. It's less uh, sharp than uh, other batches. And it just gives us your hops just a very nice, clean um, softness that makes it extremely fun to drink and uh, very much like juice, especially because it's extremely unfiltered. That's great, man. So, Dave, you know, t- talking about Vermont, it's a Vermont show. Got to talk about politics, you know, because... In Colorado, the governor was was a brewer, and I, I know that you mm-hmm. you know him and know of him. Yeah. So, is, is there a leading candidate or political figure in Vermont who's really pushing the craft beer scene? Not Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> You've met. I wasn't going to mention him, but <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Shumlin's been pretty. He's good, he's a supporter of the restaurants. I mean, he he comes into all our restaurants quite a bit. It's kind of cool to to get to see the governor like hanging out. And uh, it's such a small state, and there aren't that many restaurants, so odds are you're going to see him at some point. Um, in terms of beer, I mean, he definitely knows uh, and appreciates uh, what the breweries have done for the state, for the tourism. And, uh, and you, you know, they all talk about it now. And, and uh, I think that Vermont, we were talking about the Vermont Brewers Association earlier this morning, and, and the legislature really listens to them. And, you know, sort of what they say goes. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely, um, I think everybody's really taking care of each other and trying to make, you know, we are so dependent on tourism. It's really, we don't have a lot of industry and, and uh, we need people to come visit, really, for the economy to work. Um, and so right now the breweries are a huge draw and I think that they all know that. And so they, they definitely try to, you know, try to keep it as easy on the breweries as they possibly can, it seems like. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, Sometimes. There, w- there was recently an uh, economic impact study that finally got done after years of talking about getting this done. Um, and there were, there were numbers in that economic impact study that, that were done on the amount of jobs created and revenue generated for the state of Vermont that I think is going to help the brewers with uh, working with uh, the state of Vermont and, and any, any rules that need to be adjusted to help the brewers continue to do well up there that's great man i didn't want to ask about bernie sanders but that's all people are talking about in new york city I mean, by the time this airs it, they'll still be talking they'll about still it, be so. talking about it, probably <laughs> even more so i remember when uh, talking about politics i remember when mayor bloomberg was first elected talking about beers and politicians mm. and uh he, he was at an event and he had beer with ice in it yeah i think it was a brooklyn brewery uh, yeah ribbon but he still went out ceremony. he went out and supported the breweries yeah. and uh and, He's uh, a wine drinker, but that's okay. Yeah, and then Cuomo, Governor Cuomo's done a lot for the New York yeah, State. He's been great. You know, craft breweries. I think New York State has, has really paved the way in terms of showing other states, including Vermont, um, what a governor can really do. He's hugely behind anything artisanal, really, anything agricultural or artisanal. Whether it be breweries, wineries, whatever, he's he's totally on board with it. I mean, the so. the biggest thing that the government government did just recently, because they had the New York Farm Brew mm-hmm. licenses, where you could actually sell pints in your farm brewery. The other microbreweries said, "Well, why can't we do that?" And and uh, they passed the law. So pretty much now you're seeing, especially in the city, all all the breweries are opening tasting rooms. So it's like mm-hmm. Kelso. Every brewery now is almost built around a tasting room, right. and that's really changed the whole game. Yeah, so there's a lot more profitable. going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't necessarily. I mean, Vermont has the same thing, and, and uh, most of them have tasting rooms now, and you don't necessarily have to do... You have to have food, but it's not strictly enforced, it doesn't seem like. Um, so uh, so they can just focus mainly on the beer. Yeah. And it's a huge... I mean, most of these guys wouldn't survive without that. 
So Dave, what are you guys doing tonight? You have a Vermont table at New York City Brewer's Choice. Yeah. So um, hopefully I don't have to spend too much time there. I'm going to walk around. <laughs> you got so many breweries I've never even heard of that uh, I'm really excited to try some stuff. And, and uh, you know, I know you're going to give me a little cheat sheet so so I can find the best one. Never have any printed materials. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm really. This is definitely my favorite event of the year in New York City for sure. Um, I think it's definitely the, the best one that we have, and uh, and it just gets better every year. So one of the brewers, I know Union Beer has been a big supporter of this event this year. They, they brought in some guys from Maine, Bunker, Oxbow, Urban Farm from Entry, Connecticut, um, Kent Falls, and Blackhawk. And they have Lost Nation down from Vermont. From Vermont, yeah, what, from what's, what's the What's Lost Nation like, and what's your relationship with them? Because I've never um, really Alan met and those Jamie. guys. Jamie's going to be there tonight. Um, they're the founders of it. And uh, they're just up the road from Chad, from, uh, from Pro Pig. An hour, forty-five minutes. Yeah, just uh, yeah, hour away. Just a, they're just above Stowe, about ten miles up above Stowe, and um, they started out uh, just doing session beers. Um, Alan was very like, you know, that was his thing. And I remember him talking about it before he started the brewery that that's what he wanted to do, and he'd been brewing in the state for a while um, at various breweries, and, and finally got his thing off the ground in the old rock art plant, and. Um, and they've expanded a little. I mean, they still do uh, mostly session beers, but um, we've got the Mosaic IPA on right now, uh, which is 5.5 and, and tasting really nice. And, and uh, so they're doing some other things too. They do a really nice Goza um, that they now have in cans. So uh, and they came down to New York not that long ago. Came into the market. So uh, and they have a rep down here. So they seem to be doing pretty well. I know they're expanding. They're they're taking over the rest of the building. So, looks good. Is that the building that Cross used to be in? No, that was down uh, the street, which was Alan. So there was a Cross Brewing, which was Kip Ross, and uh, back in the '90s, and and Alan was his brewer, and uh, so Alan didn't get very far. He just went about 100. He, he's kind of gone full he went circle. 150 there. yards. Kip Ross, from where he started. Ross, Cross. Yeah, yeah Cross. I like that. I know. Well, hey, he was, he was doing Belgian, so uh, we're off to a good start here. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Elknife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is our special Vermont Beer Show, recorded live at Blind Tiger in the West Village with Dave Broderick, Chad Rich, and Nate Johnson from Prohibition Big, and uh, we're celebrating New York City Beer Week. So thanks for coming down, guys. Appreciate you came all the way from Vermont. And, and Dave, it's a rare treat having you in the city now. Tell us more about your life in Vermont. I know you open. Tell us about the restaurants and other projects you're doing up there. Yeah, we, um, we've got the Worthy Burger in South Royalton, Worthy Kitchen in Woodstock. Uh, my farm sits right in the middle. It's 20 minutes to the, to the right to go to the Worthy Burger and 20 minutes to the left to go to the kitchen so it sets up pretty well um, my partners are doing a place down in Boston a Worthy Kitchen in Brookline uh, which I think is going to be really really good It's uh, the building is owned by um, a couple of our investors uh, and they're really they're doing a beautiful build out it's going to be I think it's going to be huge and so we're pretty excited about that and we're Got some. We've got something on the fire that I, I just found out about in in Vermont. 
Um, I said I wasn't going to do anything more, but this, this one. Every year you say This that. one's even closer to my farm, so <laughs> I feel like I don't have any choice. But we'll see. I, it, it just it just happened literally on Monday, so I, I don't know, you know where it's going to yeah. go. But you know how these things are. Um, but it actually looks pretty good. And um, Is it a brewery or a restaurant? No, no, just no, a restaurant. restaurant. Just a restaurant. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's always great hearing what you're doing. I know that you're you're tight with some of the farmers up there and the, the Fable Farm guys. Yep. How are they doing? I know I know you have them down every no- yeah November, every December. December. Um, they're doing. I just had a meeting with them on Monday, and and uh, they things are heating up. You know, they're already thinking about summer. You know, for their planting and all that stuff. But their cider is doing really really well, and uh, they had a huge. It was a huge apple year, so they pressed. I think about over 4,000 gallons, uh, which is a lot for them. And uh, all their stuff is barrel-aged. It all goes into wood, um, and it's really good. And, and uh, uh, they're pretty excited, and, and they're getting it. You know, stuff's here in New York now. You can get it at Wasail, um, you know, the cider bar on Orchard Street, um, and some other places as well. And, and now they're, I think they're getting into Boston a little bit. Um, yeah, and the re- last year's Cider Week in New York, a few young people mentioned that they'd had the Fable Farm Cider. Yeah. Really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny's really amazing. He's, he's great with fermentation. And and uh, so, we you know, we drink it all the time. We're lucky. We get to drink it all the time. And they have a new building now um, that uh, it's this beautiful structure, and it's got a 90-foot cave in it uh, for barrel aging. And... Um, so that's just coming online now, and I think that's really good. What town is it? Because for me, from the city, where you guys are, it's really spread out, but you're saying, you know, someone an hour away, that might sound yeah. close to you. So Chad's up in Waterbury, which is really central Vermont, um, sort of at a crossroads for a lot, of, uh, a lot of the state. And we're down further south, about five and a half hours to Barnard, um, kind of out of the way. It's like 700 people, very tiny town, but there's a lot going on there. We have a great... You know, one of the best vineyards in the country is there doing natural wines, Deidre and Caleb, uh, La Garagista. And Eric Asimov has written a couple of things about them. Um, they were one of his favorite wines of this past year. Um, so we're really lucky. we got Fable Farm Cider. we got all these great um, uh, farms. We don't have a brewery yet. Just saying. <laughs> Somebody wants to do that, that would be great. Isn't there some old railway station or something? Uh, not in Barnard. Railroad stuff. But there is down in down in South Royalton where the, the Worthy Burger is at at an old is an old freight depot. Um, so, but hopefully someday we'll have a somebody barrel aging. Some is is your there. part of Vermont more like or the, the place where there's like those old covered bridges, or is it like the place where it gets muddy in the spring and your cars get stuck? Both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> It gets really deeply muddy in the spring. Actually, this, the whole winter has been spring, really. Uh, mud season has been on and off throughout the winter, unfortunately. Um, the snow's been terrible. But, uh, but it's, Chad and I have been talking about it. People still come up, you know, and, and we've been really lucky. It hasn't, it hasn't hurt us uh, the way I thought it would. It's hurt the mountains. The ski mountains are down 30%, but... But uh, the restaurants haven't suffered as much because mainly the people that are there, they have nothing else to do but go eat and drink. So, so we've been really lucky. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a good winter despite uh, that. But, you know, we, we definitely, I know I miss the snow. I got, like, wicked cabin fever. That's why I had to come down and see you. I was just, like, I was going crazy because um, there's just not, there's nothing to do. It's just, it's still cold, but there's no snow. So Ski country. Ski country. To me, it's all. I think I was in Vermont once in my life, but I think I know more about reading and from talking to you guys. Yeah. Which is this? This is my treat. That's how I get to travel. I, I don't know why you want to come up We got to get you up there. Come on. Come on. Well, well, let's like talk about an honorary member. Talk about already. this next beer and give me give me a, yeah, a, a, a beer the, tour of, of Vermont. Trying? So, so the next beers are. Uh, I guess if we had a flagship, uh, it would certainly be our uh, double IPA Bantam, uh, which is named for the. Uh, mascot of my alma mater, uh, Trinity College in, in Connecticut, and it's an 8% double IPA, uh, pretty light grain bill, it's uh, just essentially two-row, some wheat malt, and a little bit, a touch of uh, fireman uh, crystal malt, and the hops, uh, bitter it with Apollo, uh, heavy Simcoe in the kettle, uh, it's a touch of Cascade and Amarillo, uh, and then it's dry hopped with Simcoe, a touch of Galaxy, and uh, a little bit of Cascade as well. 
Um, it's just a really easy drinking 8% double IPA, and when you drink a 32-ounce can of it, uh, it will sneak up on you pretty quick. Um, so it's a very smooth, I, I would say, very smooth and, and easy to drink. Mm. What's, what are the characteristics of the Apollo hop? Because I, I actually growing. I've got a couple of rhizomes that I've been growing, and, and uh, they're just about to take off this year. And I'm kind of curious as to what to expect. I love Apollo. It's one of my main bittering hops. It's around 18% alpha acid. So extremely high, very clean bitterness. I don't really have to use a lot in the kettle to get your appropriate IBUs. Uh, And it's also interesting, as a super high alpha hop, it still has some actual flavor characteristics, which tend to be just essentially very grapefruity. Uh, you can actually use it for a dry hop if you want, which is pretty unique when it comes to you know a, a hop that is that high alpha. But primarily, I use it for bittering purposes. Uh, some of my uh, bittering charges can be extremely low because of that, mm-hmm. and then I just have less uh, loss because. Uh, have less uh, hops in the kettle. Hey, you know, jump, jumping back to the first beer, the uh, Reverse Whirlpool, um, some New York brewers have been, been making a beer they call it New England Pale Ale Style, and they're, they're like mentioning Vermont. What, what, do you know what that would be if I said New England Pale Ale Style? Because it's kind of what you were doing with the Reverse Whirlpool. Uh, it is, yes. The Reverse Whirlpool certainly, I, I would think it would fall in that sort of category. And I think when you're there's a couple of sort of what I would call like unique characteristics when it comes to this uh, East Coast pale ale. This uh, sort of what you know, Vermont uh, so IPA. Heady topper kind of fall under that type of beer. A little bit. Uh, you know, to me, it's almost. Um, I think Hill Farmstead, of course, is doing that uh, sort of thing, and also Trillium and Treehouse um, out of uh, Massachusetts. But really what you're seeing is this sort of focus on uh, light grain bills, uh, low bitterness, or at least low perceived bitterness, uh, very soft mouthfeel, and also extremely juicy hop character. Uh, so obviously you're, you know, the hops that come instantly to mind are Mosaic, uh, Galaxy, Citra, and they're just very, very fruity and, and ends up almost tasting sort of fruit juice-esque. Uh, with some alcohol behind it, which uh, can be very dangerous to drink. And the, and the reverse whirlpools is basically referencing these are all southern hemisphere hops that are going into that. We we're uh, we're, we're pretty lucky because we're actually sitting. Uh, we're we're doing where some breweries are struggling to get certain hop varieties. We're sitting pretty uh, flush with what we need for the desirable hops. Do you, do you agree with what I was saying, the New England style? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I would even say it is sort of, well, you can't call it Vermont style anymore because of the Massachusetts breweries that are doing it. But uh, but I think that's sort of where it, it seemed to have started there and then spread a little bit. But yeah. It was, it was actually, it was Chatham Brewery, which is, which is up by uh, Hudson, New York. Mm-hmm. They had a beer it was called New England style paleo. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and was it? <laughs> it was it was up there, you know. Yeah. They, they were definitely trying for what you guys were doing. Yeah. So. so they were just across the border. If they were on the other side of the border, they could have just got away with calling it pale ale, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the water is a huge part of that. Uh, Vermont, for the most part, is uh, blessed with extremely soft, clean water and very low alkalinity. And in, <coughs> because of that fact, it allows your pH to... to be in a really nice uh, zone, and that way your bitterness doesn't uh, come across very harsh. Uh, it's much more of that sort of soft bitterness that's extremely uh, enjoyable to drink. So yeah, the, I think the water is truly a big part of it. I think that's true of, of a lot of beer, but also just I, for the New England style IPA, um, sort of a higher chloride, lower sulfate level. Um, will give that nice sort of juicy, soft, rounded mouthfeel. Right? That's right, man. <laughs> it's like it's almost 12 o'clock and right now. Well, the next question goes back to the, the beer tourism. So I, I know that for a while you guys talked about how, like a Hill Farmster, for example, might have a launch date of, of a, a bottle or, or 
on, on an off-season. Mm-hmm. So it kind of coincide with when they needed to bring in business and helps the hotels and things. I know that's, that's happened a lot. Um, well, what I'm trying to get to is now the Hill Farms is selling more regularly in New York City and like even like Blossom's Finest is starting to you know, can and, and other facilities. Do you think that Vermont will lose its magic of people feeling like they, they can only go to Vermont and get that beer? I hope not. <laughs> I, I, I feel like Vermont is Vermont. It's always a special place, even without the beer. Um, people are wanting to go there just for the scenery, and, and people have been for what you know hundreds of years at this point. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to work on is is to put together a publication that actually shows people all these other things to do in Vermont too, besides beer. There's, as Dave mentioned, some of the best wine in the in, in the world is being produced up there by. Uh, the garage is done, and we have all these uh, chocolate makers, bread, cheese, of course, and, and maple syrup we're known for. But there's so many specialty foods that are being made up there now, and the, the food scene up there is definitely, I, I think of Vermont being one of the places that led the farm-to-table uh, movement. Uh, I hate even using that term at this point because up there, that was just how it was being done. Um, you know, so so people want to go up there for many reasons. So even when, you know, the mountains are maybe only 80, 90% open, people still want to come up because it's so beautiful. There's great food. There's all these other things, uh, you know, the cheese, the chocolate, uh, you know, uh, even all the distilleries, world-class spirits coming out from up there. Bar Hill Gin, uh, my, you know, uh, Hopefully it's not because I live in Vermont that it's my favorite gin. We, it's actually something that in New York we, we buy a lot of. And I know Dave, you introduced me to Todd Hardy. Yeah, I saw him ago. on Monday. He was just at our uh, Fable Farm meeting because uh, he's a big supporter of them. Yeah, we regularly carry Bar Hill gin, vodka, and the Tom the Tom Cat's mm-hmm. uh, Tom Cat's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and he's um, now starting. I think he he's starting to grow grains and other botanicals and ingredients uh, for distilling. That's his new project, which uh, sounds I, pretty cool. I would cool. argue he's making the best gin in America, so yeah, I don't think there's any question. Yeah, he, he won an uh, international spirits uh, competition for best gin in the world uh, in Hong Kong or somewhere. But uh, I have to agree, it's one of my favorite gins, so much so uh, it, it's, it's one that you can drink on the rocks by itself. It's, it's almost uh, blasphemy to... to even mix it with something, it's so good. But I will say, like, Hill Farms, you know, they expanded their distribution a little bit, mm. and it's great because there's a lot of good, like Roberta's, where we do the, the radio show, and some other places. They pretty much always have a Hill Farmstead mm. on draft, and for me, it's fun because I didn't really get to drink it that much before. So I think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and I think that you know, Sean and uh, Sean Hill and and Sean Lawson and and um, and some of the other breweries that are now shipping to the to urban centers. I mean, they're, they're not shipping everything, and um, they still give you incentive to come up to the brewery uh, for the bottle releases um, and some other things, and, you know, just to see the source, see where it all comes from. Um, I think in some ways, you know, Sean always said it was, he just, he, he thought he was sending it down there to get people to come up, um, you know, give them a taste, and, and then hopefully they'll come. So, and that still seems to be working. People still, I mean, you know, R89, that corridor is just filled with beer tourists coming up uh, to this day. So hopefully it'll stay that way. What about for you, Chad? I mean, you've expanded your, your operations, and you feel like that more people are actually coming to, to visit you guys at Prohibition Pig? Without a doubt. Uh, you know, the restaurant, um, uh, it stays full. But the brewery out back, there was a 200-year-old schoolhouse that had sat vacant since the flood of Irene, and that's why the alchemists had moved you know, out of there, and uh, that schoolhouse that was sitting there, um, I was able to get that two years ago, and we renovated it. We, we lifted it on steel beams, moved it, and basically saved the post and beam structure and the floors, uh, and it gave us 6,000 square feet to brew in. But we have a second restaurant in there now, too, which uh, is actually... Uh, some people have said they like it better than the, than the pig because it is so casual in there. It's uh, counter service, come in, sit down, don't think about it, just really good uh, uh, food. And um, But as well... Uh, what, what do you call that space? Uh, you know what, just pro-pig brewery. So for the brewery, we, we've kind of uh, adopted the, the slang term of pro-pig. Um, 
Dennis Flynn actually uh, coined that term uh, even before we got open, uh, camping at, uh, at Sean Hill's event at Brewdown uh, when I was telling him about the business plan years ago. And um, But, you know, the brewery, uh, one of the things I like about it is just it has a very warm feel in there. You've got, you know, 200-year-old floors underneath your feet. Uh, plywood walls we didn't say unfinished plywood yeah we didn't we didn't uh want to overthink it we don't want people to you know it's it's not like you're coming in and and seeing every page out of the uh open a hipster restaurant playbook right now um it's just casual um we have right there you're sitting 20 feet away from the brew house where you get to heckle nate uh you know as he's (laughs) uh doing his thing over there and and we're actually very fortunate too. Uh, we, um, uh, by default, sort of inherited um, some very historic brewing equipment. The uh, brew kettle was uh, John Kimmick's, and the mash tun was not only John Kimmick's and still sitting in the basement after the flood. We had to cut it in two to, to lift and, and take the stairs out to get it out of there. And then have it reassembled and cut back together, uh, welded back together. But that that brew cut, uh, excuse me, that mash tun used to be Greg Noonan's. So to me, uh, anybody that knows, just tell us where, where each of these guys, what they were part of. So. Well, John Kimmick from the Alchemist and you know Brewer of Hetty Topper and whatnot, uh, and Greg Noonan. I, I think anybody that brews knows the name Greg Noonan because he wrote some of the best books on de- decoction and and brewing techniques uh from vermont pub and brewery which is the second oldest brew pub on the east coast um unfortunately he passed away five years ago but he um great great brewer hold that thought because you're, you're on a roll we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions Week. in una noche oscura di terrible star in el castillo embrujado empezá a gritar los monstruos peligrosos frankenstein y batman comieron quesadillas y vampiro en petian si son que monstruos con terrible I love a lot of your Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. So Chad Rich from Prohibition Pick, he's on a roll, he's talking about Vermont brewing history. So Greg uh, Noonan, tell us about this guy. So so Greg uh, was was the owner and brewer at Vermont Pub and Brewery, and the reason we were talking about him is uh, we actually ended up with the mash tun that was, uh, the, the story goes, is Greg and John went and pulled it out of a mud pit at a farm. Uh, it's an old dairy tank, and they converted it into a mash tun. So it was the mash tun of Greg Noonan's for many years. And then John Kimmick got it from Greg and, uh, was, it was the mash tun at the alchemist. So it's, it's still, uh, very close to the original location. It moved about 20 feet away and, and, uh, but at least now it's out of the basement, uh, where hopefully it never gets flooded again. So Dave, Greg Noonan, Vermont beer history. Mm. Yeah. And I, it was, uh, I remember that last, uh, uh, event that I saw him at, and uh, and actually he came down here too for the reopening of the Blind Tiger. Him and Kimmick came down, um, ate some things that I wouldn't have eaten. Uh, <laughs> yeah, couldn't get up from their bar stools for about two hours, um, but had a great time, and it was great to see him. And he he was always a big supporter of. I mean, he's sort of the godfather of Vermont beer and. Um, started all, created Black Watch IPA. I think it was called Black Watch IPA, which was the first black IPA. Um, uh, and, and just, uh, you know, had a huge impact uh, on the Vermont Brewers Association and our festival, our summer festival. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's sorely missed. And, and you know, uh, I think Sean Hill and John Kimmick were both heavily influenced uh, by him, as well as a lot of other people. What about you, Nate? And any of these other Vermont figures that have inspired you in your brewing? I mean, of, of course, you know Greg Noonan, certainly, you know, um, uh, the, you know, godfather really of, of Vermont brewery. It's it's actually really funny. I'll be brewing, and I've had people come in to the brewery and recognize that mash tun when they used to brew at BPV way back when. And 
you know, that's that's how connected the beer world is. Um, that these guys, you know, were, were brewing on this piece of equipment 15 years ago, and, and you know, they recognize it's still here. Still, still I guess you it. just don't forget that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's definitely pretty uh, unique, and certainly some big shoes uh, to, to fill after you know Greg and, and John. Um, but so yeah, definitely, you know, Greg, uh, John Kimmick. Um, you know, I think it's almost unfortunate that Hetty has become so big and, and everyone only focuses on that where John's you know repertoire was much much larger at the pub and a lot of those amazing beers you know sort of gone by the wayside and almost sort of forgotten and I'm actually really looking forward to the new Stowbury being built uh, to see some of those hopefully those uh, old beers so come the, back a new Alchemist Brewery yes uh, so you know Holy Cow is an incredible IPA at 5.2% um you had Pappy's Porter, Donovan's Red, where you're sort of the, the mainstreams. Uh, but also just the, the other, the, some of the wild stuff, uh, Bitant, which has seen a uh, little bit of release in the cans. Uh, but some, you know, all the, the pub beers from John were very, very Dave, good. Dave, tell me about the, the Hurricane Irene in 2011. I mean, it really, what was it like? I mean, it wiped out Yeah, I mean. It was. It sort of came out. Of, I mean, we knew we were going to get a lot of rain, but obviously not that much. And um, I guess it was like 17 inches, and it hit those mountains and just flowed right into the valleys and rivers. And, and suddenly, you know, the water's up over bridges and and uh, just devastated uh, all the low-lying areas. And, and so a lot of places suffered. Waterbury obviously has a major low-lying area, and the Alchemist was sitting right in the middle of it. So, uh, but in our area too, I mean, after we were up high. But suddenly we couldn't get out of Barnard, you know. The bridges were down, and, and um, so we were kind of trapped just for a few days. So You lived on your wife's kimchi. I did. Yeah. <laughs> My breath was horrible, but you know, I felt pretty good. And, uh, so, but so, so, so what happened? So Alchemist had already opened their other brewery? They, had, they were opening that week. I think it was that week, It right? was three, three weeks before they had opened. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, luckily for them, they you know, had Plan B all in the works. Um, or it really would have been tough, um, and that, and Hetty took off as quick as it did, uh, really, really helped them. I don't even think they thought it was going to be that successful no. because the original plan was, when I was talking to Jen and John about acquiring the building, um, they had even thought about bringing that seven barrel equipment up to the, that brewery, the the new production brewery. They thought they would have this excess space that they had in there. For that equipment to brew these other beers and the plan was I was still going to be able to get some of the original beers uh, that John brewed and start so you already start in, with. in plans to take over the space no I I had written uh, the business plan and, and you know it's funny uh, Dave Broderick uh, was a, a big part of this I was talking to him nonstop about the, the business plan for the pig and um, you know the, the biggest challenge was is uh, for a year there I was looking for a space and it um, uh, no, no space seemed to fit the business model as well, and so I was talking to Jen weekly there because I was ordering beers from them for the farmhouse uh, at the time, and I and I had already mentioned to them before, so it kind of fell into place where I was in conversation with them about it, and due to some of the Vermont beer laws that wouldn't allow them to brew the beer up at the new brewery and sell them at the old brew pub, uh, they decided not to go back into that space because they didn't want to put, um, they didn't want to rebuild the brewery back in the basement with the potential risk of a flood again. There was, you couldn't get insurance anymore, you know, for anything that was uh, below ground. So, so what did you do with the space? Did you not use the basement? And, you know, we we use the basement, but everything down there. Uh, one, we, um, we we don't we don't have brewing equipment, you know, in in the old building. Now the new building, we do have fermenters down there, but uh, you know, if they if they flood, we're going to get down there and do everything we can to clean up. And we built the the when we redid the the, the brewery building. Uh, and and the, the the original space, both are built in a way now with current uh, um, materials, spray foam, and better wiring and everything that hopefully, 
you know, won't make it as bad of a scene as what it was when, when this happened to them four years ago. Hopefully it was a 100-year flood. Right. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. I mean, uh, you know, it used to be called Dryberry, but now, you know, yeah. say they changed the name. Yeah, so. well, I believe the state also did some dredging on the river to hopefully clear yeah. that out a yeah. little bit. So, yeah, hopefully it truly was a 100-year flood. Trust me, there was a there was a time three years ago that uh, we had another storm come through. Actually, I think it was Sandy a year later. Right, right, Sandy. And I was sitting there watching Noah's website and watching uh, somewhere where I could see the 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 river level uh, of the Winooski River and was just watching it and um, uh, yeah I was a little nervous there for a second <laughs> well it's like it's payback you, you, Vermont and upstate got 2011 Irene yeah, you and guys got, oh, New York New here. Jersey got you know Sandy so. I was nervous about this place you know during Sandy the water was like coming up the road yeah we all it was it was it was crazy Something, yeah. again 100 years maybe a 500 year storm I think more likely right. for us yeah that was big exactly you're talking more about Vermont so you had mentioned uh, zero gravity Tell me about those guys. I, I haven't tried their beers yet. So that's um, Paul Sailors, the brewer. And uh, Paul is, uh, we've known Paul forever. He was a brewer for Commonwealth here in New York City back in the 90s. And uh, that's when I first met him. And then he went up to um, Vermont and started uh, and worked for Catamount, which is no longer with us. And then after Catamount folded, um, he went with American Flybread. Um up in the Mad River Valley, the original market. It's a great Flat pedigree. Bread. Yeah, and he, he kind of did his time there uh, working for those guys and then got the franchise rights for Vermont and opened up American Flatbread Burlington Hearth uh, as a brew pub and, and an American Flatbread. And, and Chad worked there. He, uh, you know, that's kind of where, that's where I met you, actually. Um, was there, right? Brewers Fest, I think. Yeah, Europe. Brewers Fest. And um, so uh, that's kind of where, you know, that was Paul's thing. And then, so he was brewing there and, and then doing restaurants. And then finally, uh, just recently, he opened up a production facility on Pine Street in Burlington, uh, much bigger, uh, with a cannery. And uh, so they're coming down for the event tonight in uh, Brewers Choice. And and uh, it's great. They haven't, you know, they've never done it before, and, and uh, uh, it'll be great to have. So they'll be there. at your Vermont table too. Uh, yes, that's great. Man. They will. So uh, yeah, and they they've got a. Uh, Paul does all kinds of beers. Um, definitely uh, English influence, I would say, uh, but uh, but done sort of in a Vermont way. And, uh, uh, his Conehead, you know, Weed IPA, uh, is, is very well known in the state. They can it. His guard, uh, I always call it the Garden State Lager. Green State Lager uh, is very popular. They can that as well. Um, so you can see those around. And, and uh, But they do a lot of, uh, just like Kimmich, you know, he does a lot of different styles. Um, sort of classically trained uh, brewer. So it's, it's nice. He's, he's always wanted to, I think have, you know, more of a production facility. I remember going up there when he first got it opening, opened, uh, first started brewing at the new place, and, and I, I went up and saw him, and he looked like a deer caught in the headlights, I, mean, I think he forgot how much work it was to actually brew on a big system, and, um, you know, it was kind of funny, but now he, they've settled in, and, and I went up to visit him on a Tuesday when the uh, tasting room is closed, and they're just canning, and they were having a really good time, so it was like a clubhouse. So it's good. Good to see them. Now. Good stuff, man. Really made. Your... So let's talk about Blind Tiger, man. Because we're here. It's already like it's just at noon, and the place is filling up. People are getting lunch. You must be really proud of yourself. Yeah. yeah nice glassware for the for these uh, nice prohibition pig. We've got our uh, stemware. I like drinking my beer out of stemware. Me too. Uh, we've got our 20th anniversary coming up on March 15th. We're pretty excited about that. It's, it doesn't seem like 20 years, but uh, I mean, I think the challenge for the tiger and places like this is keeping it fresh keeping it relevant um, and you know that's uh, Catherine Kyle our managing partner she's uh, she's really good at that she's so involved with the beer scene here in New York um, and really stays on top of it and whenever I come down to visit it's like I, she's the first person I have to grab to find out what's going on in terms of the beer scene because she's just so tapped into it and she'll be there tonight um, but we're definitely in build-up mode towards that party 
to celebrate having lasted. <laughs> That's great, man. Uh, Twenty years. So, yeah, Congratulations. It's pretty cool. Thanks. And chat for you. Like, what, what's going on in spring and summer? You know, if you go up to Prohibition Peg in Vermont, is it just regular every night, or do you have special events going on, pig roasts or anything? Uh, you know what? Well, the kitchen, they're they're killing it. There's 60 people that work there at the pig now, and the food 60 that people work there. 60 people. Yeah, wow. a little over. Um, and if you if you follow us on Instagram. We've got our uh, Insta game going pretty strong. The, the food that the guys in the kitchen, guys and girls in the kitchen, are putting out is pretty phenomenal. People are coming there for for every reason, not just the beer, not just the food, the environment, the service. I I, I feel really uh, fortunate. We're firing on every cylinder right now. So, um, and the other thing that we're working on is we have guest rooms up over the restaurant too that. Uh, you know, just give another little aspect to the place. So if you're if you're really into beer and you want to come down, um, you can get the full on experience. And you know, you know, here 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 the restaurant for 20 hours out of the day down below you if you want to hear it. Uh, but you know, at least you won't have far to climb home at that point. That's, that's what that, I like. It, you know, it reminds me of uh, going to like uh, CL back in the day when you used to be able to rent the apartment over the brew pub there in Montreal, so I, I, I really like the idea of this, so we're just trying to, you know, have a lot of different reasons to come there. That sounds like a good experience. Yeah. Go to Prohibition Pig, rent a room. Yeah. Don't have to travel too far. What, yeah. what, do, they, what do they call those? A, uh, um, uh, I don't know, there's a term for Peter it. Peter Terry or something. Yeah, we're not, we're not renting by the, by the minute, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they do that down here. Yeah. <laughs> That's only in the West, you know, saloons. Yeah. Right. Go upstairs, <laughs> Miss May West or something. Yeah. But you guys are awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me. Oh, yeah, it's great. And uh, coming down to New York City. And uh, last thing I want to say is you guys are awesome. You got zero gravity. You got Prohibition Pig. You got Blind Tiger, Worthy mm. Burger and Kitchen. And how's the beanery doing? That's you having some great. fun with that? We're having some fun. I mean, that's, that basically is just our fun project. And Dave Arrington, you know, formerly of Smoney Nose, is now the head brewer and partner. And uh, it's really just kind of a thing that's fun for Dave and I just to do shit together and, and kind of enjoy making beer. And it's really just playing around, basically. But. but uh, I'll tell you, man, uh, we'll it's, it's so great, so great to be with you guys. Blind Tiger at lunchtime is it's like the perfect place to be, you know. And uh, so thanks to Dave, Chad, and Nate for joining me here on the Heritage Greater Network. And uh, cheers to our producers and engineer, Jack Kinsley. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Cheers. Woo. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.